We're in the last week of our hair series. We've been talking about hair. The Bible has a lot to say about it, believe it or not. Jesus said that the very numbers of your hair are numbered. Every hair on your head is numbered. And that's how much God cares about you and me. He's into the details of your life. And so talked about Mary, talked about Absalom, all these characters in the Bible we can learn life lessons from. And today we're going to learn about two boys, two men, Esau, who is hairy enough to be mentioned in the Bible, and uh, his brother, Jacob. And uh, we're going to go to the book of Genesis chapter 25. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Genesis chapter 25. Of course, we're going to read the story up on the big screen behind me. But we're going to talk about these two guys who were in a wrestling match since the day they were in their mother's womb. Here we go. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, Beth. Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. Uh-oh. But the two children struggled with each other in her, in her womb, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She, said, she asked, and the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Hmm. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau, which means hairy one. <laughs> what a name. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob, heel grabber or manipulator, deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. And as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And so already they're playing favorites. And Esau and Jacob are twins. You can't talk about one without the other. Jacob and Esau, Esau and Jacob. And they have a dad. Their father's name is Isaac. Have you ever heard that expression, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That phrase is important because these guys are the forefathers of the Christian faith and of Judaism. And their whole story is a powerful one of how God brought redemption out of a dysfunctional bloodline. You want to talk about a dysfunctional family? This is a family that has major dysfunction, and God still redeems it. It's amazing how God can take your family or you in a, just a mess and, and work it and make it, make it work and turn it around for good. Well, this is the story of these, these men and these women and it's, it's just, you should read the Bible sometime. It's full of drama. If you love drama, it's full of it. And so if we go back to Abraham, who is the father of them all, Abraham and Sarah were unable to have kids. They were, they were having trouble getting pregnant. And so in their mind, God had given them this promise that Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations, but they had no kids. So it, did, it didn't make sense. That promise didn't make sense. And uh, it was kind of a pipe dream. 
And so Abraham goes to God in prayer and says, God, you know, we're 90 years old and we're not getting any younger and we still have no kids. My wife, Sarah, is barren. She's unable to have kids. You've given me this promise. And God says, don't you worry. If I make a promise, I'll keep it. I'm not a liar. In fact, I don't have the ability to lie. God cannot lie. And would you believe that Abraham's wife at 90 years of age gave birth to Isaac? And now we're, gonna, we're not gonna go through the details of that story. That's a whole nother story. We're gonna skip that. But I just wanted to pause right here and focus on the fact that maybe God has given you a dream and it hasn't come to pass yet. And it might be delayed, but it's not a denial. So even in your older age or maybe your middle age, or maybe you thought you'd be farther along than you are, or maybe perhaps God has put a, a dream in your heart that is not just about getting a nice house and a nice car, it's more than that, it's about making a difference for him. Maybe there's something that you kind of laid down that you're like, ah, oh, it's not gonna happen. I, I just wanna encourage you today to pick it back up again. If God has put a dream on your heart, don't let it go. Because in his timing, it's gonna come to pass if you remain faithful. And so if God can bring a baby boy from a 90-year-old woman's womb, he can certainly bring your dream to life. How many of you believe that? Good. And if you don't have a dream, get a dream so big that you need God for it. If you can do it all on your own, it's not big enough. So get a big dream, so big that you're like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, God, I need your help. Let's go back to this story though. Jacob and Esau, Isaac is their father of Jacob and Esau, and he grows and he has a wife named Rebecca, and they miraculously have these two sons, these twins. They were unable to get pregnant for a long time as well, and so it was a miracle that these twins are born, and Esau is the oldest, but it's not the only distinction that we find about Esau. Of course, he's described as so hairy <laughs> that he needed a back wax at day two of being burn, born, and, um, and then you have, you have Jacob, and Esau is the skilled hunter, the outdoorsman. His father really, you know, shows favoritism towards Esau because he's just a good outdoorsman. Jacob is a mama's boy, and he likes the indoors. He likes to cook. Nothing wrong with that, but it's just the Bible's making a distinction about these two personalities could not be more polar opposite from one another. And not only is that the biggest contrast, but the biggest difference in the Bible that it lets us in on is that Esau is the oldest. And that's a big deal because if you were the older son, you would get the blessing or the birthright. And that's a, that's a huge deal, being the older son, because that means that you would get the family inheritance. That means that you would carry on the family name and the reputation, and they had a good one. It means that you would get all of the authority, that you would have the social status, it means that the father would give you the blessing, which was also spiritual significance. It means everything that God has given Isaac, he was going to pass on to his son Esau, who's the oldest. It means everything that God has given me, his favor, anointing, everything is going to be passed on to the oldest son. And so that's huge. And not only that, but they know that Jesus Christ is gonna be born from their lineage. That's a big deal, that the Messiah would one day come through their bloodline. And so Esau knows this, and Jacob knows this, and we're gonna pick up the story in Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. 
One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, the younger brother, Esau arrived from home, from home, from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Eden, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? Wait, wait, what? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, handshake deal, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then he got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Jacob's name, you won't believe this, means liar and deceiver, heel grabber. And he, the first deception right here. Esau comes back from hunting one day and he's so hungry, he's so tired, he's so famished. I mean, you have to be really, really hungry to sell your birthright. I mean, just by anyone's standard, this is a very bad trade. You're trading the Merrill Lynch trust fund to your younger brother over a bowl of beans. But how many of you know when you get tired and you get exhausted and you're fatigued and you're desperate? Some of you are judging Esau right now. You're like, what an idiot. I would never do such a thing. But we've done something similar. We lowered our standards because we wanted something now. We, we traded an eternal blessing for short-term gratification. We've all done it. We've been there. We've, we've lowered our standard and we've traded in God's best for our life for short-term gratification. We've, I've done it. You've done it. Some of us in this room, we've settle, settled for second best. And Esau, he traded his future for an empty bowl of beans. That's what lentil soup is. It's bean soup for a bowl of beans. I want to encourage you today as a reminder to me and to you. When I read this story, I see the big idea is don't sacrifice God's purpose and your eternity that God has for you for a bowl of beans. Jacob, the younger brother, he gets the birthright from his older brother, but he still has to trick his father, Isaac. So I'm going to walk us through this story. Isaac, he's in his older age. The Bible describes that his eyes are growing dim. So he's probably got cataracts and he can't see anymore. And he's laying in bed all day, every day. It's all he can muster to do is sit up to eat. And he asks the older boy, Esau, would you go and hunt me some wild game and make me some of that beef jerky I really like? And he says, yeah, dad, I'll go right away. Rebecca overhears this conversation between the two of them. And he says, she says to Jacob, hey, I overheard uh, Esau's going out. Now would be the time to devise a plan to get the birthright from your father. Now's the best time to do it. So why don't you go make a bowl of stew and then we'll put some animal skin on you and put some of Esau's clothes on you and you can go in and you can ask for the blessing as you present this bowl, this meal. And so Jacob does what his mom tells him to do, makes the soup, makes the food, 
brings it into Isaac, the father who has the authority to give the birthright and the blessing. And Jacob comes in, dresses Esau. He says, dad, he has to lower his voice a little bit because, you know, he's not the manly man like Esau is. He's a little bit artsy fartsy and nothing wrong with that, but it's just who he is. And dad, it's, it's me. Oh, who is it? Is it you, Esau? Do you have this, the food, the meat, the wild game? Yes, it's me, father. Well, you sound like Jacob. I mean, literally, read the Bible. This is it. And I'm trying to do my best I can here, people. But, uh, and he says, well, you, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. And so he comes in closer, and he begins to feel the arm and the neck of Jacob dresses Esau in the animal skin. He says, oh, you are Esau. I don't know why you still sound like Jacob, but you must be who you say you are. And Jacob, AKA Esau, dressed as, asks Isaac for the birthright, and Isaac gives the birthright to the wrong son and blesses him and cannot reverse it because it's already been done. And when Esau finds this out, he has a moment of clarity. He says, I'm going to kill you, brother. I vow to kill you. And Jacob's mom, Rebecca, says, you better get out of town <laughs> because Esau's coming for you. And his mom says, why don't you go to your uncle Laban's house, Jacob, and go work for him? So the story continues. And Jacob goes and works for his uncle Laban. And he's out there in the middle of nowhere on the run from his life because his brother is after him. And he finds himself in a field doing work he never thought he would do. He's taking care of the flocks. He's taking care of the crops for his uncle Laban. And uncle Laban has two daughters. One of them is very attractive. Her name is Rachel. And she's described in the Bible as very beautiful. And then there's a, the older daughter, Leah. And the Bible says that she was harsh on the eyes. <laughs> the New King James Version says, it was difficult to look at. <laughs> Talk about UGLY, you ain't got no alibi. She ugly. And uh, Jacob says to Uncle Laban, Uncle Laban, your youngest daughter, Rachel, is very beautiful. I'd love to marry her. And he says, sure, work seven years. So seven years of labor, hard work in the fields. And finally, seven years comes to an end. He says, finally, I can marry the... Rachel, the beautiful, attractive one, and they have a party, and the wedding happens, and they go to bed, and to Jacob's dismay and surprise, he wakes up, and he says, you're not Rachel, you're Leah, and yes, he had slept with the wrong woman, and you're all like, how could you? I don't know. How could you? Some of you know all about that. I don't know what, you know, I'm just, I'm preaching the Bible here. But how could you start judging a man like that when you've been there too? Well, what happened? What happened to Jacob? He had been deceived by his uncle Laban. He reaped what he sowed, didn't he? He had finally caught up to his reputation. And as believers, as Christians, we know this is a biblical principle that God has set in motion since the beginning of time, that you reap what you sow. So if you don't like the harvest of your life, if you don't want what you're receiving back, you better check the seed that you're planting. You get what you give. And it's only a matter of time that Jacob gets deceived. 
That's what he's been doing his entire life. The trickster has been tricked. The schemer has had someone do a scheme on him. And Laban says to Jacob, if you work for another seven years, I'll let you marry Rachel, the one you really want. And Jacob gives Laban another seven years of labor, and he ends up marrying Rachel. And it's with these women, these two women, that Jacob ends up having what we know as the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the bloodline where Joseph comes from. This is where Benjamin comes from. And this is the promise and the fulfillment of what God had spoken to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, long, long ago, that Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. And I look and I read this and I'm like, God, why in the world would you bless a man like this? Why in the world would you still bless a deceiver, a manipulator, a liar? And it bothers me why God would bless some people and even though, and the only answer I can come up with is, well, why did God choose me and why did God choose you? He uses broken, messed up people, doesn't he? And he still works through imperfection. And it's amazing how God works. Jacob becomes wealthy. He's working for his uncle Laban. He has the blessing. He's becoming the father of many nations that was promised long ago. And he does it again. Would you believe it? The deceiver deceives his own uncle. Just can't get out of this cycle. And on, now he's on the run for his life again. He's running from Esau. Now he's running from his uncle Laban. And on the way to go kill Jacob, Laban is after him. God speaks to Laban and says, don't harm him, but instead bless him. And there's a, rate, a great reconciliation that takes place. And out of that reconciliation, Jacob has a heart change. God does something miraculous in this guy's life. And we pick up the story in Genesis 32. Let's read it. It says, as Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. And after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. <laughs> yeah, because he's about to die. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Then Jacob prayed, oh God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, you told me return to your own land and to your relatives and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. God, I don't know why you, in other words, God, I don't know why you've blessed me, but I'm done with the running and the hiding. Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. How many of you know that 
Before Jacob can go back home, he has to deal with Esau. And it's true for all of us that if we don't deal with our past, our past will haunt us. All of us in this room, before we can step into our future, we have to face our, our past. And I believe that many of us perhaps are, are in this room today and you've been running for far too long and today your days come home. Come to God. And before you come to the Lord, you're gonna have to deal with the past. Come as you are and God will help you through it all. And Jacob's like, all right, Esau's coming, he's gonna kill me. He vowed 20 years. It's been 20 years of Jacob running. 20 years of running. He lays his head down at night. Everyone's asleep. And the Bible says that another man comes and this man begins to wrestle with Jacob. And here's the rest of the story in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. It says, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. And then this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. All night, Jacob wrestled with this man. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Many of you know this story. For those of you that don't, this man that Jacob was wrestling with was God. It was an angel of the Lord. Anytime you read angel of the Lord in the Bible, it's a Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus Christ before he walked the earth in the flesh. How many of you know we serve a triune God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God and three distinct persons, the Trinity. Jesus Christ shows up to wrestle with, with Jacob in the flesh. And I just wanna say that this was no match for Jacob. It's not like Jacob, you know, put up a good fight with God. You are no match for wrestling with God. How, how many of you grew up watching WWF or WWE? You don't have to be ashamed. Yes, good, all right. You don't be ashamed. I'm, for some of you, you still think it's real, and I have, I'm about to burst your bubble, bubble that it is, it is fake, and they already know who the winner's gonna be, and I just, I just learned that recently, and so, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Are you kidding me? Some of you are like, yeah, I think you're that silly. But um, the most fake wrestling match to ever happen was this wrestling match between Jacob and God. Because Jacob is no match for God. It's kind of like when I get home, uh, sometimes from work or in the, 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 I have three little kids and they start tackling me. Dad, you know, it's, a, it's fun. And uh, I know I'm, some of you, I look little, but I'm, I'm really strong. And, uh, but I let them, I let the kids win. I just fall to the floor and they go, they tackle me and they, I go, oh, 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 you know, you do the whole thing. Dads, you know what I'm talking about. And they, they, you just let them win. You let them think that you can't, you can completely destroy them. They are so little, you can throw them through a wall. I won't do that. But <laughs> some days you feel like it, but you just let them win. But here's the big idea. When God wrestles with you, he does not wrestle with you to prove his strength. He wrestles with you for you to admit your weakness. And so God did not want to have a wrestling match with Jacob. He wanted to have a moment with Jacob. 
And we know this because the angel of the Lord, a.k.a. Jesus, is wrestling with Jacob. And it's, I can almost imagine the Lord is chuckling, like, man, this guy's pretty ambitious. He's really going for it. And somewhere in the wrestling match, he takes his finger and touches Jacob's hip, and Jacob's hip pops out of place, the Bible describes. And so the angel of the Lord, Jesus, God, has got Jacob in a submission chokehold. And they wrestled all night long to the point where Jacob is worn out. He is done. He's toast. He's done kicking. He's done screaming. God has worn him down. And now Jacob is no longer resisting, but he's clinging. And he's saying to God, I won't let you go until you bless me. For real this time. It's like the first match that Jacob has finally had. It's a real match where he's finally asking God for the first time to bless him without deceiving anybody, without taking what's not his. And it's the wrestling that leads to brokenness in Jacob. And God only works with broken vessels. I love that about God. If you're here today and you're like, man, my life is so broken. How can God use me? Man, he, he specializes in taking broken people and making a, a beautiful life and making a difference out of it. He tapes broken people who are empty and uses people. In fact, the greater the breaking, the greater the anointing. If you've been through something and you feel broken before God, that's exactly where, it's, where he wants you because now you'll know it's all him and you give him all the glory and all the honor. It's awesome. So God touches Jacob's hip and wrenches it out of socket. Literally, Jesus touches his hip and his whole hip goes out of, out of place. And they're no longer wrestling anymore, but rather Jacob is simply hanging on to him for dear life. And the man, Jesus says, let me go. <laughs> and Jacob says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. He's got no more fight left in him. He can't kick anymore. He's got no more energy. He's just hanging on. I'm not letting you go. I can't do this without you. In other words, I can't do this. I will not go on life as it always has been. Today, something is changing. I'm done deceiving. I'm done lying. I'm done running. God, I am desperate for you. I'm not letting you go until you fill me up. What a great prayer. What a great wrestling match. Have you ever been there in life? where you just pursue God and say, God, I'm not letting you go until I hear from you. Lord, I, I won't stop praying for so-and-so. Oh God, I'm not gonna give up. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna surrender to you and let you take the reins. But Lord, I'm not letting go of, I need you. Have you ever been desperate enough where you're like that, where you're wrestling? God, I need you. Oh Lord, I need you. Brokenness is never enjoyable, but it's necessary. And brokenness always leads to blessing. And so this is where Jacob is. He's done kicking, he's done screaming, he's done wrestling. Rather now he's clinging to God and he says to him, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And you know what's wild is this is the first honest fight Jacob has ever had in his entire life. His whole life, he's been posturing and positioning himself to get a blessing that was not his. He's been deceiving people out of opportunities and this is the first time he's simply asking and praying for God to bless him. And God says, you know, when you ask, I will supply. That's what the Bible says. It's a promise from God. When you knock, I will answer. When you seek me, you will find me, Jesus says. Genesis 32, verse 27, the angel of the Lord says, what is your name? 
the man asked. And he replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Well, let's be honest. He didn't really win the wrestling match. What happened is he finally surrendered and then he won. When you finally surrender to God and say, okay, <laughs> I give up, I'm done. I'm, I'm done resisting. Lord, your ways are higher. Your ways are better. God, you really do know what's best for my life. Your plans really are better than my plans. Your will really is better than my ways. That's what happens to Jacob and he wins. Finally, he's been trying to win his whole life but he's been robbing everyone else. And finally he surrenders, he throws it in, he says, God, I will not leave until you bless me. And then God says, all right, guess what? Your new name is Israel. He gets a name change. From this day forward, it's a new day. After this wrestling match, it's a new day. There's a promise, there's a blessing for your life, but you need a new identity so you can get a new standard, Jacob. And this is what Jesus came and did for all of you and for me as well. When you come to Christ, you get a new name. That's what happens when you receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You get a new name, a new identity. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what happens when you give your life to Christ. That's why he died on the cross, so that you could get a new name and you could be saved and redeemed. And you're not defined by your past or what happened to you or what people said about you. So just stop talking down about your own self. Oh, I'm never gonna be. Oh, I come from, I don't come from a good family. Oh, if I, if I, no, 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 no. Today's a new day. When you're a Christian, you're the head and not the tail. You are a royal priesthood. You need to start acting like it. You have the righteousness of Christ. You, you're a child of the most high king. You're a prince, you're a princess. You have been adopted into the family of God. You don't need to live that old junky life anymore. You're not who so-and-so said you were. You are loved by God. You're anointed. You're highly favored. You gotta believe that. You gotta know that God has good things in store for your life. Even if nothing good has happened in your life, when you give your life to Christ, there are great blessings when you follow him in his ways. You gotta believe that. He knows what's best for you and he has what is good for your life. The Christians should be the most blessed people in all the world. I really believe that. The most generous, the most loving, the most kind-hearted, because we have been poured on with so much lavish love. It's amazing how much God loves us. And he's been in the name-changing business since forever. He changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham because he got a promise and he held on to the promise. He takes Jacob and he turns him into Israel. He took Saul, the Christian killer, and the Christian killer, and turns him into the Apostle Paul, the greatest church planner to ever live, who wrote most of the New Testament. He takes a fisherman named Simon, who denied Christ three times, and he says, your name will no longer be Simon, your name will be Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he calls you and I a, a son or a daughter of the Most High King so we can wake up in the morning with our head held high and say, God, you've been so good to me and uh, my future is bright and, and you've got great plans for me and the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And so he takes Jacob and names him Israel, which means prince. 
You're no longer a deceiver anymore, Jacob. You've got a new name, buddy. Genesis 32, verse 30, and then we're gonna close in prayer here pretty soon. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And I'm so encouraged by this story because Jacob went to bed that night going, tomorrow I've got to deal with Esau and my past. And God says, I'll I'll help you along the way. I'm going to help you along the way. And it's a beautiful story of Jacob turning his life around and going back towards his brother who wants to kill him. And the two of them have a reconciliation that takes place because Jacob had a heart change and because God spoke to Esau on the way. And these two brothers, the Twin Towers, they have an incredible reconciliation, which tells me any of us can have that kind of reconciled relationship too, because I guarantee you, uh, no one's stolen the trust fund from you. Maybe, uh, maybe there has, you're like, you don't know! But many of you are running from your past today, perhaps a few of you, and if you would surrender to Jesus, I got a feeling that your past, it wouldn't haunt you or hurt you, but it would rather be a story of God's great grace in your life if you would surrender to him. When Jacob was done wrestling with God, his hip was out of socket, and the Bible tells us that he walked from that point forward with a limp, which is awesome, because that that limp never went away. And it was, a re- well, he, he was gangster now. You know, he was gangster for God is what happens. And that's what happens when you come to Christ. You, you get gangster for the Lord and your past becomes your testimony. The limp was a reminder to Jacob that he had wrestled with God and he had won because he finally surrendered. When you come to Christ, you've got stuff from your past. God will use it. He, he will use your story to reach people that I certainly never could. God will use me to reach people you can't, and he'll use you to reach people that I can't. And your story is a big deal. So talk about the goodness of God, the grace of God, how far God has brought you. Thank God we're not where we used to be, but thank God we're not where we're going yet. We go from glory to glory to glory. Would you stand all across this place as we get ready to close in prayer? That's the story of, of Jacob and Esau. And how many of you enjoyed the stories of hair? All right, awesome, good. There's one story I didn't tell. We're not gonna do it because I don't wanna get, I don't wanna offend anybody, but Elisha, he was a bald man. And uh, this is encouragement for all the baldies in the place that uh, some boys came out and they were mocking Elisha the prophet. They said, hey, baldy, literally, you can read it, 2 Kings. Hey, Baldy, and Elisha called down bears to maul them. 32 of those boys. So the moral of the story is don't make fun of bald people and don't mock a prophet. Don't make fun of your pastor or we'll call down the bear. All right, no, I'm kidding. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day, for all the work that you've done, for all that you're doing. I pray that your Holy Spirit encourage people in this place today that you ministered to our hearts. Perhaps you even showed us areas in our life that are not fully surrendered. I pray for those today that are that are far from you, God. There might be someone in here today that has been wrestling with you for quite some time and they're weary and they're tired. Well, today is a day to surrender your life to, to Jesus Christ. And I wanna lead you in a prayer to do that. It's simple. You just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. 
I'm done fighting, I'm done wrestling, I'm done resisting. Today I wanna give you the lordship and the reins of my life. I need a savior. First of all, I'm a sinner, and so I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me through what you did for me on the cross. You died and paid my debt, and for that I'm forever grateful. Would you wash me and cleanse me with your blood? I receive your grace and your forgiveness. And from this day forward, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit to change me from the inside out, to lift the veil from my eyes, the spiritual veil, so that when I read the scriptures, I can understand. Lord, do what only you can do. I wanna be more like you, Jesus. And from this day forward, I wanna live for you. Use me, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen, amen, amen. 